Welcome back to Held and Healed. In this podcast, we discuss different systems of abuse and then resources for healing and recovery from abuse, as well as stories of survivors. I have some of those coming up in the next few weeks, and I am really excited to introduce you to some tenacious and courageous survivors that are in my life. Uh, So far, we have interviewed uh, the amazing Jimmy Hinton, a pastor out of Pennsylvania who is also an abuse advocate and an educator who is fierce about educating and being proactive about preventing abuse, especially sexual abuse of children within the realms of the faith community. I have also interviewed Gretchen Baskerville, author of The Life-Saving Divorce. Gretchen is helping thousands and thousands of people understand the truth about marriage and divorce and debunk the myths and the lies about divorce. I interviewed Neil Shorey, a pastor out of Chicago area who was directly involved in the Drew Peterson case. And he basically just wants to help pastors be more equipped and more prepared and ready four cases of domestic violence because he knows that he was ill-equipped at the time that Stacy Peterson came to him. And then last week I interviewed Rebecca Davis, who is currently writing the Untwisting Scripture series, which is really turning on the light for so many people who have been spiritually abused, who have had scriptures used to beat them up and weaponized to hurt them and not to help them. So my schedule for the next couple weeks is looking wonderful. The interviews that are set up for June and July. And I just want to keep bringing resources to you so that you can um, dig deeper and be blessed on your healing journey. So today I want to discuss a topic that is very, very personal for me. And... I was in Give Her Wings Academy last year. The date on my notes was October 18 when the light bulb really went on for me on a topic that I wish I had understood more about this 20 years ago, Um, but it's okay. I know now I do better now. I did not know then what I know now. And I can lament and I can be very sad and I can grieve that there was not more help available 20 and 30 years ago, but I am grateful that there are so many resources now. And that is why I'm passionate about this platform and sharing the resources that have helped me in hopes that it's going to bless someone else as well. So this topic today is about family scapegoating. And the notes uh, that I have here were for a less, from a lesson that was taught by Glenish Sherwood. And she has written the book, Stop the Struggle. So if you want more resources and you want to do a deeper dive into this topic of scapegoating and the dysfunction within families where there is a scapegoat, Glenish Sherwood, Stop the Struggle. So I'm just going to share kind of the outline of the notes that I have from that class And as I go along, I will just kind of share bits and pieces of my story as well. All right, so let's start off. What is the definition of family scapegoating? 
It is bullying within the family unit, shifting of blame. All of the family blame is projected on one person. Let me read that again. Bullying within the family unit, shifting of blame, all the family blame is projected on one person. And so already I can, I can tell, I, I already know that as I read that definition, there are going to be people listening. They're going to be like, oh my gosh, that's me. Okay, so what can be the typical profile of the scapegoat? The scapegoat is usually talented, sensitive, intelligent, but also may be the most reactive. The child knows that something is wrong and is a truth teller. Truth telling is not wanted, so that person is seen as a threat. Often the scapegoat is the most psychologically healthy person in the family. Okay, let's just stop and unpack that bit of material. All right, talented sensitive, intelligent, but reactive. So what's crazy, the crazy spin, the spin cycle that happens when you are in the position of scapegoat is you are told that you, you feel that you are worthless. You feel that you are overly sensitive, too sensitive. You feel that you are stupid. You feel that there's something wrong with you because you're the only person that seems to be affected by certain things that are happening. The reality is you're actually talented, sensitive, intelligent, and you're reacting because you are the truth teller. Now that's where like this light bulb went on. When a family wants to keep secrets, truth telling is not wanted. So they are seen as a threat. And what I loved was the clarity that came with this sentence. Often the scapegoat is the most psychologically healthy person in the family because The truth teller wants to tell the truth. The truth teller wants to typically get help, get healing, get counseling, move beyond, break the cycle, um, shift, shift the, the focus and, and change. I mean, totally change the direction and break the generational curses. That's, that's, that's what this person wants to do. Is that not like clarifying. Truth telling is not wanted so that person is seen as a threat. Often the scapegoat is the most psychologically healthy person in the family. The abuse and neglect shows up in blaming, shaming, criticizing, shunning, passive aggressive behaviors, hostile remarks and attitudes, insults, setting people up to fail, ostracizing, dismissing, criticizing others' accomplishes, accomplishments, mobbing or group bullying. Oh sweet goodness. Mm, that group bullying thing is brutal. Cognitive dissonance, the scapegoat is very successful, but is treated like they are inferior. So it's, it's a form of like gaslighting where the scapegoat is someone who is like doing well in life. But when you come back to the family, you feel like this little tiny, tiny peon. Um, the mobbing or the group bullying, a lot of times what will happen is if there are several abusive people in the family, they may not like each other, but they find their common ground in ganging up against the scapegoat. And that is extremely traumatizing, extremely, where this person over here cannot stand that person over there, but they find their common ground. 
and bullying against, you know, beating up, ganging up against you. Mopping is when the family agrees that the scapegoat is the problem, needs to be demoted, needs to be put in her place, excludes the scapegoat. This can creep from the nuclear family into extended family relationships. So, incredibly painful. Um, the demotion, the having um, family functions and events and excluding one person um, and only one person. And where it then goes beyond um, the, the nuclear the nuclear family and begins to kind of seep into other relationships and other people buy into it or other people are just intimidated by the bullies and so they will say things like well I you know I got together with you but don't tell so-and-so because if so-and-so finds out that we got together or if so-and-so finds out that we hung out or if so-and-so finds out that we did this then there's basically going to be hell to pay for real for real I've experienced this All right, what are the common griefs and effects for the one who is the family scapegoat? So children who are made to be the scapegoat lose out on security and safety. So I'm going to break that down a little bit. When you're a scapegoat, you really don't feel secure and you don't feel that you can trust anyone and you don't feel that anyone has your back. This affects their development. So when things are happening that are traumatic in the early formulative years of your life, it greatly affects development of that individual's brain, of uh, your ability to be with people, trust people, uh, feel safe and secure. Self-identity is affected. Self-worth is usually determined by the age of five. Let that sink in. Self-worth is usually determined by age five. So if this scapegoating is happening that young, it's going to greatly affect development. Low self-esteem, low self-worth, and carrying a burden of shame, the search for significance, anxiety, loss of self-identity, and complex PTSD are all factors. The relatives become captors. This is heart-wrenching. Chronic estrangement, grief, rejection, grief, mourning that comes, never feeling loved. There's such deep levels of anxiety. It feels like the family is trying to do her in. It feels like the family wishes she was dead because they believe she is the source of all their problems. So again, using pronouns she as the victim, he typically as the Abuser just because my platform is speaking primarily to women about issues of abuse. So it does not mean this cannot happen to a man. Those are just the pronouns I use because of my ministry and my focus is primarily on women. So um, all of this can be um, relevant to a male who is being scapegoated as well. So it feels like the family is trying to do her in. Feels like the family wishes she was dead. How about the concept of grieving the living? That's a very real thing. And um, I have actually been going through this to new levels and new depths in recent months where people are so incredibly toxic and abusive that you have to, for your own sanity, for your own healing, you have to set boundaries and go low to no contact 
and there is this process of grieving the living. And there's really not socially um, acceptable parameters for grieving the living. You don't have a funeral. You don't get casseroles. You don't get people showing up at your door to walk with you through your grief. But it's real grief. It's legitimate. Put you in bed. Don't move from your bed for weeks or months on end because you are grieving. It's legitimate grief. In some ways, it is harder than grieving the loss of someone who has physically died because the people are still alive and there's just this incredible sense of betrayal because people are choosing are choosing to be abusive, are choosing to hurt you over and over again. And there is no reasoning or rationalizing with certain individuals. You've tried and there isn't, you don't get anywhere. So PTSD is a sense of threat, avoidance, intrusion, or numbing experiences and a sense of self that may or may not be affected. There's an event that has a beginning and an end. So when we talk about post-traumatic stress or post-traumatic stress disorder, it's typically going to be a one-time traumatizing event that happens. Whereas complex PTSD, the shame is added to the trauma, negative self-image, strained interpersonal dynamics that affect the dysregulation or emotional upset, mood swings, emotional roller coaster, or trauma layers upon tra- trauma with no end in sight. So if you are in this cycle of family abuse, if you're in the cycle where you have been the scapegoat for decades or longer, it's repeated trauma over and over with no end in sight, with individuals who do not see what they are doing, do not really care how they're affecting you. You may be someone who is going and getting mental health care and digging deep and peeling back the layers of your trauma and the layers of your pain. But most of the time, these toxic family members do not want to do that. And so you will be mocked, you'll be ridiculed, you will be, um, you'll be made fun of for even pursuing counseling. So the differences between PTSD and CPTSD. So complex post-traumatic stress disorder is a typically a one-time event with a beginning and end, whereas complex is over and over and over and over again. So what are some ways to close the wound or heal from scapegoating? So she shares, um, and of course, this is something that um, needs further exploration. But she says to mourn the loss of relationships. We, you know, just discussed that grieving the living, and I would like to do a deeper dive at some point of what that concept of grieving the living looks like, and give people some practical ways um, to work through that. For me, I decided. I was just going to go into my room and binge watch Hulu. (laughs) I found a good clean series on Hulu that um, had lots and lots of episodes. And I let myself just physically rest. I had an incredible um, experience with a hemp product that was really calming for my emotions and I was super grateful because I did not cry every single day. I cried a little bit here and there, but I wasn't like deep wailing. Uh, I don't think my body could have taken that for that many weeks on end. 
but finding some way to let yourself rest. And what I told myself is if someone had physically died, it would have been socially acceptable for me to shut down for that month. It would have been socially acceptable for me to break away from, detach from, simplify my life, be super careful about who I was surrounding myself with, treat myself to some prepared meals so that I didn't have to cook, let the the house go, not into shambles, but just some of the things that I would typically have kept up with weren't really important. Just, Just as if I were grieving someone's physical death, I let myself go into that place of just self-care and resting and letting my brain kind of just escape, I guess, <laughs> from the reality that I was walking through. And that's how I dealt with it. And maybe it wasn't 100% healthy, but I was resting and my body was having a chance to recover. And yeah, obviously, you know, booking you know, appointments with your counselor or your coach, working through some of those things, um, making sure, and I did absolutely make sure that my closest friends and my really passionate, faithful prayer warriors were on guard and were aware of what I was walking through. Um, set and maintain healthy boundaries. So it's not enough just to set those boundaries. Those boundaries have to be maintained. So if someone is blowing up your text feed with very abusive, aggressive, and threatening messages, it's okay to say, you know what? If you continue to do this, I'm going to block your number. That's okay. But you have to be willing to then follow through and do it. So um, if you say to someone else, and I've had to do this on different occasions, you know, I don't mind helping you with XYZ. I actually love to help you with XYZ. But if you're going to be disrespectful to me while I'm helping you, um, you can just go somewhere else. I'm not going to, I'm not going to sit here and take your verbal abuse while I am bending over backwards to help you. If someone has proven themselves to be abusive over and over again through history and there has not been any reconciliation because they're not willing to reconcile and maybe you have tried your best to talk through things and share from your perspective how their actions and their words are affecting you but they just simply do not get it it's okay to say we're done we're done we are not going to have a relationship because this is not helping me to heal uh, with someone else um, that I allowed back into my life after years of no contact, I simply said, I'm letting you back in. If you do X, Y, and Z, the things that you've done to me over and over again in the past, we will be done. We will be finished. And when that person proved to be untrustworthy again, I had to do what I said I was going to do. Because if you set a boundary, but you don't maintain it, it is completely fluff. And the abusers know, the destructive people know, and they'll just keep pushing, going low to no contact. So low contact may look like allowing texts to come through, but not taking phone calls. Um, Low contact may be um, choosing to be at family functions, but just for a few moments, and then ready to you know, with your car keys available so that you're a grown adult with a choice to leave at any moment when you feel unsafe or you feel unwelcome. 
Um, no contact is what it says. No contact. So blocking a phone number, blocking someone on social media, not showing up at events where you think that person is going to be. And this is hard because by not showing up at events, you would be possibly cutting yourself off from other people that you really, really want to have contact with. So that one's a little bit more complicated, but do what honors you. And if you do go into those settings, make sure you take a safe person with you and keep that safe person close by because a lot of times the people who want to pick on the scapegoat are looking for an opportunity to corner you and get you alone. And if you have somebody around you, they're going to be less likely to do that. Determine what is fact and what is fiction. So this is where we begin to understand and expose gaslighting. So gaslighting is when someone is making you question your reality. And that is, again, a topic all its own, a standalone podcast. But gaslighting is something that I have been dealing with pretty much my entire life. But it was only like three, four, five, maybe five years ago that I even understood or defined gaslighting. And my, my mind was just completely blown when I realized that when someone says to you, oh, that's not a valid memory. Oh, that's not how that happened. Oh, you're just too sensitive. Oh, you just remember things differently. Or, you know, when you hear those kinds of things over and over again, it's kind of a red flag that something's happening here. And then when I realized the sources of people that were saying those things to me all had common characteristic traits, all had common um, things about them, and the way that they treat me, the way that they cause me to feel, the way that they would then gang up together against me and like all these light bulbs just bam, bam, bam. And then you have to, uh, this is a hard thing to unpack. You have to deal with your inner critic because people, their voices can then become your own voice inside your head. So if you hear over and over again, you're just too sensitive. If you hear that from enough people over and over again, you start to believe you're just too sensitive. Um, if you hear that you're, if there's a certain word or a name that you were called over and over again, I was actually called the B word from childhood. As a very young child, I was called the B word. And so in my mind, and I hate that word, it still can send shivers up my spine. It can still trigger me very much so. Uh, that word is actually used now by young people as a substitute for my friend. So instead of saying she's my friend, they say she's my B. And I'm like, oh my gosh, people, I hate that word so much. But I've heard it a lot in that context. And I've heard people use it in a different context. So it's kind of desensitized me to it. But I, as an eight-year-old, was not capable of being a B, right? No. No, there's not too many eight-year-olds that are even capable of being the B, right? But I was told I was over and over again. Um, I'm trying to think of other ones that um, I've heard a lot. Or just the concept of being worthless. So again, when people attack you and cause you to feel that you are worthless, cause you to feel that um, you are small and you are puny, then one of the really big lies that I've had to deal with that I heard over and over into my head was that I was worthless. 
Nobody likes you. Ooh, that's a big one. Nobody likes you. You're the problem. You're the common denominator. I heard that one a lot. But what I've come to realize is that nobody who's abusive likes me. Big difference between that and nobody likes you. If someone is abusive and is aggressive and treats people poorly, they will not be comfortable around me. They will not. I'm okay with that. I truly am. If someone is kind, gentle, empathetic, loves the Lord, has, you know, all kinds of fruit coming out of them, like we typically will get along just fine. And I have so many wonderful, beautiful people in my life who are just kind, gentle souls who love other people who, you know, like there's this instant bond when we first meet because we've been through similar things and we understand one another and we just get along and I want to connect them with all my other people who are like that. I love connecting people. I love peopling. I just love people. But if someone is abusive, either covertly or overtly, they are probably not going to like me at all. And I'm okay with that. And then I wrote this quote in all caps, just because people broke you doesn't mean you are broken forever. Just because people broke you doesn't mean you are broken forever. Let that sink in. Let that saturate your soul. So if this light bulb has gone on for you, um, and you are sitting there saying, oh my goodness, I am the family scapegoat. There's hope. There's healing. You don't have to continue being the family scapegoat. As a matter of fact, one of the things that I love watching the transformation of a timid scapegoat become a roaring lioness. I love to watch the timid scapegoats transform into roaring lionesses. What a contrast. I love to see women who have been beat up, who have been blamed and shamed and criticized and shunned, had hostile remarks and insults, have been set up to fail, have been ostracized, dismissed, criticized, mobbed, (laughs) have been super successful but been treated like they're inferior. I love to see those women Kind, compassionate, self-sacrificing, forgiving, long-suffering. I love to see those women then become these roaring (laughs) forces to be reckoned with as they realize and they step into their identity. They step into their purpose. They step into what God created them to be. So as always, I like to welcome you women to join us on Facebook at the group Held and Healed, Christian Women Rebuilding After Abuse. What has been really amazing is that group has doubled in the last two weeks. I attended the retreat in um, North Carolina, the Called to Peace retreat, and a lot of women from that group have found my group because of our interactions and also through sharing some book reviews of some of my favorite authors and advocates and people have come from their pages and found Held and Healed. And I would love to see our group go from 400 plus to 800 and 1200 in a quick, 
quick pace because if every woman that's in that group invites one or two of her friends, we will continue to grow rapidly. Why do I want you in that group? I want you in that group because I share resource after resource, quote after quote, author after author, advocate after advocate, the ones who are helping us to see the truth about who we are. Biblically based, sound people. Now, I say that and not every single person that I post do I agree with every single thing they say 100% of the time, but I have vetted them to some extent and until they go off the rails and go sideways, I will share um, quotes and posts, etc. But I am finding that in the advocacy world, in the counseling world, um, a lot of people do not align with me in their belief system. And so it's really hard sometimes to weed out the things that are useful. And just because I post something by someone does not mean that I believe every single thing that they post or that I align with every single thing that they post. But I may find a nugget here or a nugget there that is just a complete truth bomb that I know will bless the women in the group. So um, in the middle of starting up a book study for women based on the Called to Peace book by Joy Forrest. And so if that's something that would bless you, this is being recorded at the end of May 2021. So on June the 3rd, this Thursday, we are starting that book study. Uh, We will be running that for several months. So you're welcome to jump in at any point. It's a Zoom platform, but you need to be in the group just to get the information. Also planning a held and healed first annual retreat for women here in Virginia. I am really excited. Um, Joy is coming. Joy from Called to Peace is coming as our guest speaker. So if you are a woman who's rebuilding your life after abuse, um, we will discuss primarily marital abuse and domestic violence, but we will also be touching on spiritual abuse, sexual abuse, and childhood abuse because we know that Most women have layers and have many different um, types of trauma that they're rebuilding after. And that retreat is going to be in this beautiful, rustic, indoor-outdoor setting so that you can just come and gather with other women, enjoy the beauty of nature. We understand that for a lot of women, walking into a church building is very triggering because they have been victimized and traumatized by the church. And so when I chose this venue... I was keeping that in mind and I wanted it to be a place that would just be peaceful and we are praying for good weather, that it won't be too hot, that it won't be too cold and that it will also not rain all weekend because I would love to have the barn doors open and just really be out, you know, looking out over the fields and the mountains and the, and the lake. And it seems like there's something else I was going to share. Oh, I am also launching my group coaching program. So come find us in... Uh, Facebook, Held and Healed Christian Women Rebuilding After Abuse. Also, you can find me at heatherelizabeth.org and my email if you would like to message me about any of these opportunities or about other resources, info at heatherelizabeth.org. So thank you so much for your time. I pray that if you are identifying with the description of the family scapegoat, that this was um, something that brought some clarity to you. I pray that you will break free from the cycle and you will take the necessary steps to mourn and grieve the loss of those relationships, set and maintain the healthy boundaries, go low to no contact, determine the fact 
or the fiction, expose the gaslighting, and then in turn begin to deal with the inner critic and what you believe about yourself because of this position that you did not ask for, but you were somehow put into. Let me go ahead and say a prayer at the close of this podcast for any of you who do find yourself identifying. Father, today I come and I lift up these beautiful women to you. I thank you for your protection over us. I thank you that you've been there, that you've seen it all, you've heard it all, that you understand. You understand what we've walked through. You've been a witness to it. I thank you, God, that you are so much greater than any pattern that we have fallen into. You're so much greater than any um, thing that's been projected onto us. And we can, through your power, through your name, and through a lot of hard work that you will give us the strength to do, we are able to break through, break free from these patterns. We are not going to continue to be the scapegoat. You sent your son, Jesus, to this earth to take on the form of humanity, to walk and talk and experience every emotion, every feeling, every sense of betrayal that we will ever walk through. And he became the ultimate scapegoat for us. We do not have to be the scapegoat any longer because Jesus did that for us. And so we take everything that's been blamed on us and shifted to us and all of the things that have been spoken over us that were not of you and we lay those at your feet. We ask you to heal us from the inside out. We ask you to renew us by your word that as we read your word that our minds would be filled with the truth of who we are in you and that the lies and the worthlessness and the shame would fall off of us. We thank you, Jesus, for taking our place. We thank you for bearing the brunt of our sin and our shame and the things that people have placed on us that were not even ours to bear. You took all of that to the cross, and we do not have to. We do not have to suffer any longer as the scapegoat. So I pray for my dear sisters that clarity would be there, that validation would be there they would begin to discover anew who they are in you and that you would raise up a mighty army of roaring lionesses. And I pray this in Jesus' precious and holy name. Thank you, dear ones, for listening. Please share this with anyone that you think would benefit from it and be blessed by it. And I look forward to finding you at Held and Healed.